Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, as recommended by Susan Goodbrand, I'm speaking with Rob Moores, who's an experienced L&D professional from his time at both Sky and TalkTalk, who's now a consultant. In this episode, we're going to be exploring the phenomenon of L&D not solving real problems. But before we get started, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do give us a rating on your podcast app of choice so that others can find us. And thank you to everybody who's done so already. Now, let's get into it. Rob, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks for the invite, David. A bit of fun before we start, Rob. What do the following things have in common? Number one, no one's using the LMS. Number two, we don't have a conflict resolution training program. Or number three, our e-learning isn't interactive enough. They, David, sound like the major problems that l and <laughs> are stuck in every single day of their lives. There's yeah, a lot of work right there. <laughs> exactly. Or you could say they're only problems to L&D. These aren't actually real problems. They're perceived problems. Now, it seems to me, Rob, that L&D don't always work on or understand the real problems to solve in their organisations and instead apply time, attention, money and effort on surface level problems or not problems at all as we've just explored there. Now to kick us off, Rob, what's your favourite non-problem that you've seen L&D try to solve? I think there'd be, there'd be a couple of favourites that I've got. I think sometimes L&D go after problems mm-hmm. with the organisation. So if looking at things like difficult conversations and objection handling, mm-hmm. um, it'd be so much better if we could focus on what great conversations actually were um, mm-hmm. that might actually avoid the need to have Difficult conversations. Yeah. Um, I think one of my all-time favourites, though, is um, our leaders aren't coaching. Mm. So we do a coaching programme. Brilliant. Now everyone can coach. And six months later, our leaders aren't coaching. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's interesting. Maybe there's something else at play here rather than the training, the L&D part. They're absolutely one of my favourites. I think it is. I think it always is that you know one-way communication between these things, uh, lack of coaching for the people who need to learn these new skills, mm. um, all these other things rather than just a kind of a stock course. I think I was I was twitching there with uh, um, thinking about my own experiences there. I've done I've done so many of those, Rob. The whole you know difficult conversations or uh, what was it that uh, that that I was involved with? Something like courageous conversations when somebody on high or from from a for a certain viewpoint, it seems that it's inevitable that we will improve business performance if only our people could engage in. Courageous conversations. And and the thing is, all that really is, is the whipping up or the creation of a problem or the oversimplification of what's really going on the ground or, or up on high. And L&D trying to create a program or an initiative or instigate something that on the surface of it seems like a no brainer. You're kind of thinking, well, how can it not have a good impact? But it all comes down to it's not a real problem for the people that you're seeking to influence. And what happens when you try to encourage very busy people with their own priorities to engage in a problem that you're trying to explain to them that they have, that they don't recognise that they have at all? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing happens. (laughs) And we go back to, to measuring the effectiveness of our function and our initiative by who showed up, who liked it, and anything else that we could grab our hands on because it's not a real problem 
and mm. therefore nothing really changed. Now, from your perspective then, Rob, what is a non-problem and why do we need to talk about this now? Well, I think one of the, one of the easiest ways of explaining it is that a non-problem tends to be a symptom. Mm. Um, you know, the easiest analogy in the world is you, you go to a GP, you've noticed certain uh, symptoms creeping mm. along. Um, and what you do is you treat those symptoms and you go to the expert, you go somewhere that they're going to say, let's piece these things together and let's try and get to the actual problem that's going on. Um, and, and we tend not to do that in business and in L&D specifically, we, we tend to still go after those symptoms. Um, you know, ultimately, L&D need to be that almost performance doctor mm. for an organisation. Uh, whereas at the moment, I feel like we're, we're more of the sort of medicine aisle in the middle of a supermarket. These are the things we can offer. Which one mm. of your symptoms would you like to address today? Um, and quite often, one of my, one of my favourite questions when it comes to this type of thing with stakeholders is that it might be something as simple as, uh, given quite an extensive call centre background, it might be that we want frontline um, agents to use the problem-solving system, the troubleshooting system, more regularly. They're not using it. They're coming out of it, and they're not getting to the right solutions. Ah, brilliant. So we need to train them on it. Okay. And one of my favourite questions is, if I was to pay each of those people a £100 bonus each time they followed the system correctly, mm do you think they would follow it more? And the answer has never been no. Yeah. Not necessarily exclusively yes, um, but it's never been no. And I think that's a key thing there. So what you're saying is, if you incentivize that, they do it. So they're not that they don't know how to do it. It's more they're choosing not to do it. And training yeah. is not going to change that for you. So you've identified two things. Number one, it's not a training problem. Number two, it was, wasn't a capability problem. There's something, there's something else uh, at play there. Yeah. So absolutely. So why why do we as L and D attempt to solve non problems? Then why do we spend so much attention on solving non problems? I think, I think there's a few things at play there. I think one you've actually uh, drawn upon that I hadn't thought of uh, previously, which was the you know we as L and D measure ourselves through how people liked our courses and mm. how engaging it was, and give us a score out of ten. Um, and because of that way of work, I think we, when we don't align our activities to the organisational goals and vision, um, we bonus ourselves on this type of activity. Mm. So it might be how many training courses we provide, how many stakeholder solutions we acknowledge and deliver, um, rather than how many problems we solve, or rather than um, how are we actually enabling the company to smash its goals and vision? Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's a that's a real one. I think you know one of the one of my favourite models on this sort of stuff is uh, one of Stephen Covey's when he talks about putting first things first and prioritisation. Um, and lots of people take from that that we need to be constantly looking and fighting against the things that are urgent. Mm. Uh, and, and I believe the actual message in there was, you know what, that that's going to happen sometimes. However. The real play here is to be doing the stuff that's important. Mm. And if you only ever concentrate on putting out the fires, more fires are probably going to come along. Yeah. And it's a serious concern because there are reports such as the great training robbery that highlights the ineffectiveness and cost of so much L&D activity when it's not addressing real problems in a way that makes enough of a difference. It's not good for internal credibility when it comes to L&D professionals and teams which L&D often struggle with 
Anyway, so there is there is a burning platform here, is there not? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think there's, there's probably two ways of looking at this. One is the, the kind of rabbit hole that we all get stuck into, which is the, I guess, somewhat cynically that to solve these real problems, it requires a lot of challenge and pushback and an absolute mm. change in mindset, tool set and skill set that sometimes L&D don't have. Um, maybe they don't have the the courage or the the level or gravitas in the organization to have them. Um, And stakeholders quite regularly tend not to have the time or appetite to to explore another way. Mm. Um, You know, instead that's where we end up with that other round of of billing and complaints training uh, and all that sort of stuff. But I think, you know, it's important. What's really important is to go, hang on, let's just step back a second. Look at the intent of people. I don't believe that L&D are intentionally getting up every morning and saying, let's be deliberately ineffective. No, no. Um, and equally, I don't believe that stakeholders are getting up in the morning and saying, let me be deliberately blocking when it comes to someone wanting to do something different. Mm. Um, and in my experience, you know, I, through my experience at the likes of, uh, well, certainly with clients now, but also my experience at places like Talk Talk and Sky, there was a growing number of L&D professionals in those teams that were frustrated with that way of status quo working as well. And we're mm. trying to push that that change in there. Um, so I think, you know, you've got to look a little bit further afield again and go, let's be our own best case study here. If we're trying to push our stakeholders to think differently, let's push ourselves to find the real problems behind our own symptoms. Mm. Um, you know, is it expectations, directions from above us? Um, and, you know, also, are we working against short-term targets or are we working against longer-term missions? Mm. And, you know, I've met a a great number of people now and and over the last few years who have reached the same point in their L&D careers are questioning why not just why do we do things like that, but why why are we accepting not really knowing whether what we do makes any kind of difference and uh, losing faith a great deal in the their place in the profession with the tools and the rituals that that are generally accepted within L and D. Um, so so in that regard, I am starting to see a shift. What you're describing there as well is that there is a dynamic. I've talked about this before on the podcast that it's not just up to the L and D professionals to to decide what's to be done and how there is this dance that stakeholders are involved in as well with their own expectations and a lot of the time if we're speaking with uh with leaders and and senior members of uh of uh, our organizations then they're going to have more weight more clout and before we have the credibility or the currency in order to push back then a lot of the time we are the order takers that that we don't wish to be that we um that part of the the role in learning and development that that we despise the most so there is there is an element within there but you know without without too many spoilers this isn't necessarily about throwing the baby out with the bathwater or challenging and saying no i won't do what you want to do mm-hmm. this is modern l and um and you've got to lump it it's not it's nothing to do with that there there's a lot more tactical stuff that we need to be doing but before yeah. we, we go on to that what do we need to do instead to help uncover real problems? I, you know, this this is at the very at the conversation stage, and that's one side of the coin. The other side is and stop addressing non problems. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you've been touching on some things there that are really important. I mean, I remember I remember seeing Charles Jennings there, one of the brains behind 702010 way of thinking. Um, mm. So he's speaking down in London once, and he, he he said something that really hit home with me. And that was that if you ask a training consultant for training, guess what you'd get? Yeah. And it was training, and I thought, wow, actually, he's completely right, and that is obvious. Um, so you're right. You know, this encompasses a lot more people in the business that actually recognize that they want training consultants um so i think we need to be more business partners and i think you know further than that because i think business partnering has been on the growth for quite a while mm. um i'd say more specifically performance partners rather than training consultants mm. um you know i think we need to be around less about here's our menu that you can pick something from go more into that uh, analogy I used earlier on about the, the GP that you wouldn't go to them and say, right, give me antibiotics. I need antibiotics. Mm. They would be going, hang on a minute. I, I want to make sure I'm getting you better here and not actually making the problem worse. So really drawing into, you know, how does this actually fit in to the bigger picture? Why are we all actually here in the first place? What are we trying to achieve? Um, and I think, you know, there's different ways of doing this. I think one of the, one of the key things I would like to start seeing is more experimentation and risk-taking mm. um, in L&D and in operational field in general. Um, one, of, one of my sort of key thoughts on that is that it's very difficult when you've, uh, when you've got a large rollout of people and there needs to be 2,000 people trained on a particular new thing, whatever it might be. But where would be the harm in going, okay, let's take a couple of those teams. It doesn't have to be more than that. Well, let's do it a slightly different way. What if we didn't train them? What if there wasn't an L&D team? What if we, we empowered them with the capabilities to go, okay, we know how to find the answers ourselves. We have a coaching leader who has our development and embedding of knowledge at their heart. We're all guided towards the, um, the mission and the vision and the outputs of the organization rather than our own siloed department. And let's see what the difference is. Mm. It could be that there's no difference between them and the control teams, in which case, again, you, you're probably doing something good still, but you'd be amazed, I would imagine, that they might just do it even better. Yeah, that's right. Going back to your uh, your GP and doctor analogy, um, it's not just that, uh, that learning and development um, are uh, accepting from individuals their own diagnosis. You know, if someone says, you know, I'd, I'd like pills you know what what color pills it's a lot of the time it's not the person themselves it's somebody who looks after them it's a manager it's a one level above or a leader two levels above saying my people need more pills you know yeah. it's a case of you know yeah. it's it's that far removed and you know and it, it, it's as bonkers as uh you know taking an order from uh from levels above is, is is as bonkers as taking pills um for you know from somebody else's diagnosis who's uh uh who's not not actually seen the patient um but I, i'm i'm with you we we published a uh a, a D disruption playbook um loop and it talked a great deal about what it means to 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 understand what real problems are and it does start with a hunch a lot of the time so it kind of it kind of uh, is initiated in the same place as as a as a training request it might come from you know how people need to have more courageous conversations but very quickly, it starts coming down to the observable. I had Nigel Harrison talking about performance consulting, and you mentioned there that, that the switch from the language of training to the language of performance is a critical one if we're going to really uncover um, 
real problems rather than translate them into learning problems. So by understanding what it is that's actually going on, uh, what needs to go on instead, what some of the blockers are, who are the main actors, and to understand from a point of work perspective what what is actually being experienced by people that we are seeking to influence and then talk about what it is in, not just in terms of activities and outcomes, then we do get that holistic picture. But it requires a deeper conversation and one where we can't be scared that the outcome won't be training program or e-learning, which is kind of our stock in trade. To your point before, if we can almost eliminate and, and have those as the last resort, after all, Creating and delivering a training program and e-learning are probably the heaviest, the most expensive and the biggest bet that you could possibly place on a capability or performance problem. So make smaller bets. Run an experiment, as you say. If you can run an experiment on a group who are keenly experiencing uh, friction in the way that they're working and really need help and you can turn those around then you can understand more about it and then scale your solution to others who may not be experiencing it as keenly or may not be as ready for a change, but you can influence them and you can use currency that you've gained by actually doing something that worked. It's, a, it's very, very different. But at this stage, and I think going back to the original point of how to uncover real problems and, not, and stop addressing non-problems, mm. it's just in that discovery phase, that conversation at the outset, not being afraid that it's not going to be our stock in trade solutions that are, that are going to be applied, but think about what what it actually means from a from a point of work perspective and the main actors uh, there there at the coalface who who are experiencing this. But Ooh. that said, you know we, we we could talk about this you know from uh, from from where we are, Rob. You know you yeah. you worked we've worked in some pretty enlightened organisations as far as L and D is concerned, uh, as well as I have. But it's not easy to recognise or uncover the real problems, is it? No, no, it's not. And I think well, sometimes as well, I think, you know, human nature is that we, we look for problems. Mm. And uh, you know what? If you look for them, you'll find them. It doesn't matter what environment you're in, whether it's these enlightened organisations or not. So I think it's got to start with a, a big mindset shift rather than mm. necessarily going straight into that. Because you know, one of the answers to this in some circumstances will be let's stop thinking about them as problems. Mm. Um, you know, if you look at something, one of the one of the, the stalwart models of L&D when it comes to coaching is grow. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't start with the problem. It starts with your goal. Mm-hmm. And the problems kind of get swallowed up inside. Or oh, what's the reality that we're currently in? The goal is far more important than the things that are currently blocking it. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, if, if in terms of L&D, working with the operation more positively and proactively to that end, rather than how can we make these problems go away, hang on a minute, how can we be more focused towards the goal? Yeah, what are you trying to achieve? It would be a achieve? much better outcome. Yeah, mm. and I think, you know, we, we then get away from this possible flywheel that takes everyone away from or into siloed environments and away from the, the ultimate purpose. I mean, one of the analogies I like to use is that that image of the uh, the old classic image of the little Dutch boy but pinning the holes with his fingers and the dam is all the water's coming through. Um, and, you know, I think you've got to remember, the guy's only got 10 fingers at best. Mm. So he's going to run out soon. And now he's doing a job he might not have been hired for. So now his job is chief dam plugger. Yeah. You know, no, we, we don't do that. And then everyone starts solving that problem and going, well, what we need is a new dam. And before we know it, we're all dam experts. Yeah. They go, hang on a minute. That's not the business we're in. 
Mm. Um, and that's a real epiphany moment sometimes. You see that people are doing, I think, I hear you saying it uh, quite a bit on some, certainly some of the podcasts, but a lot of your uh, a lot of your commentary on LinkedIn as well around technology. When we talk about, you know, it's the good thing to get technology in to automate some of the jobs that we've been doing for decades, mm. if not centuries. But when we start having to work for the technology, yeah, we're seeing that cannot be connected to our customer vision anymore. It's madness, isn't it? I, I, yeah. I, one of the one of the the jobs that fills me with with fear and apologies for a list, any listeners that uh, that have this. <laughs> but LMS administrator, excuse me, you work right. for the technology. Like I just kind of thinking, what kind of dystopian systems do you use that you're a slave yeah. to your technology? Like, good technology should make our lives easier and reduce the administration, like administration itself. But you do the LMS's administration. I kind of think, yeah. oh, no, there's some, there's something that's dystopian <laughs> and, and very, very wrong there. But that does lead me on. I think that data and evidence-based practice have got to be our friends. So if we're having those conversations at the outset and, you know, to understand from either a symptoms perspective or what I like to get to is a critical point of failure. Ask a question, what's keeping you up at night? You know, you're talking about um, what is we're, we're trying to uh, a, a function or a team are, are trying to achieve. That That's the big stuff. What's, what's a critical point of failure? What's stopping you from doing some of this stuff? You know, I, mm. I, I speak with L&D teams who are trying to focus on and launch L&D initiatives at critical points during um, business, like, you know, so approaching Christmas and they're, and they're trying to yep. launch a, a new feedback system. It's like, you like you're you're absolutely like that's that's totally not aligned to what they what they are trying to achieve but by yeah. understanding from uh, from uh, the 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 business leaders or the the functions perspective of what what is a what's a critical point of failure that's going on show me the data so that i can understand that a little bit more all right so that's not happening all the time that's happening here Bringing in some of those actors, those people who are involved and finding out what their experience is and not trying to create an education program. So you've got a cradle to grave. This is what you do through the life cycle of this process. But understand what's not being affected. See if you can move the needle. What's the least you could do to try to move the needle and then look at the data to see whether that's had an impact. That's working with and for the client on something that is highly unlikely to be a class, a program or e-learning. It's likely to be resources. It's likely to be something that just addresses specific points of friction that gains you currency, that gets them the outcomes that they're that they're seeking to achieve in a much more focused and efficient way than perhaps we're used to. And then I and then I hear in, in the distance here, oh, but we can't do that with thirty thousand people in our organisation. There are <laughs> there are thousands of these. And my point is always, but your critical points of failure are not disparate as you as disparate and enormous as you think there are three or four things going on in your organization right now that are absolutely critical and crying out for your help prioritize those how many look for the 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 greatest value across the greatest number of people but never ever a company-wide initiative here you go here's your so-and-so program everyone will attend within two years bah Here's your yeah. one system. We've filled it full of content. Everybody to solve all your problems. Don't need it. It's kind of, you know, it's real, real problems are distinct. They're for distinct groups of people and they are specific to those people and the, you know, the context in which they work. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. You've mentioned data there a couple of times. And, and this is, this is really typical of well, business as a whole, but definitely L&D is that we kind of go around in cycles of trends. 
Um, and that, you know, we go from, uh, we need to go out there and do training needs analysis at the coalface with individuals. And that's mm. now in a lot of places switched to, we're only going to look at the data. Now, my problem with that is that absolutely right. Data has got a very, very valuable place. But A, what is that data telling us? Are we collecting the right data? So, for mm. example, the data would tell that organization that the troubleshooting system isn't being used correctly again, or mm. as much as it should be. Therefore, the problem is we need to train them how to use the system again. No, so data's not being your friend there. We've not, we're not the data experts at, at that moment in time. So we mm. need to say, well, let's just step back from that a second and think, again, what is the actual problem? Because, you know, you mentioned LMS, and it, you're quite right to call it out as being an absolute classic. Mm. But the data would tell us, oh, hang on a minute, we've got two and a half thousand pieces of content here that we need everybody to be able to access at any time they want to. Mm. Do you actually know if any of them need or want to access that data at yeah, any time that's they right. want to? What data have you got to tell me that that two and a half thousand pieces of content actually drives the mission, vision, and goals of the organization and helps mm. people smash that? And how is it going to remove blockers from doing that? Oh no, we, we just we just you know stuff we've been asked for. It needs a place to live. Yeah, and, and that's my, my big problem with uh, with a lot of top down stuff. And that that's that's the creation of a problem. I've worked in organisations where I've worn the LMS like a millstone around my neck. Like I've went, I've worn the competency framework around my neck. The behaviours you kind of thinking nobody wants this. It's because it's a top down initiative. It's there's no distinct problem that it's sought to solve. It's kind of yeah. a broad brush approach again. In the absence of us really knowing what needs addressing and what people are really doing, we just want them to do this. It's it's yeah. it's it's absolutely bonkers. But that takes me nicely onto my next point because. Um, as, as our conversation hits reality, Rob, uh, how do we bring our stakeholders with us when we are often asked to run programs or buy content that doesn't solve real problems? Yeah, so I've got this, um, I've got this phrase that uh, we use where, I, uh, where I'm working now, and it's 100-100 uh, communication. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is that um, when we send something out, when we when we are talking to people, whether that by email, face to face, comms, whatever it might be, we're a hundred percent responsible for how that is communicated and how it is interpreted by the other person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the number one problem we have in communications with stakeholders within the business is it's just a firing of communications either way, and nothing ever changes. So I think key thing here is. That communication between us and our stakeholders, similar conversations that me and you are having right now, um, a, a, I guess, a deeper coaching conversation around what are they trying to achieve here? You know, for example, it might be if it was um, a very typical one might be we need to train people how to use the complaint system again because they're not using it. Mm. You know, that's not the ultimate goal of the organization. That's, this doesn't sit in any of our missions or values that we shall use the complaint system correctly. What it is, is we provide great customer service to our people, or we provide provide the best service or the quickest turnaround in times to our people. And this is these are the reasons why. So that's the emotive hook here for the stakeholder and hopefully persuading them to see that in their people as well is mm. to go, how do we deliver better customer service and that's not going to be to retrain on a complaints process yeah so what you're saying there is that uh, uh take take the conversation that's being initiated by the stakeholder as the starting point as the you know Ooh. acknowledge that that this this is where you are but 
it's kind of then take your shovel and dig deeper. It's kind of, that's where we are. That's the, that's ground level. Now let, let's dig deeper. So this training program that you want, what is it that you're looking for it to achieve? Okay. So you want it to achieve and, and who specifically, if you, if you could think now of, of the people in your team that need it most, where would you start? What are they experiencing? So do you actually go down to a, these people over here aren't achieving X. I need them to achieve X, but they're achieving Y. The, you know, it's kind of take this down to a level where we can actually experiment um, and, and then apply your, your thinking to what it would take in order to help to move the needle. Is, am I on the right lines? Absolutely. I mean, you've, you've mentioned it again a few times. Now. I think this, how do we measure? What's the ROI on this sort of stuff? Mm-hmm. And at the moment, it is we've delivered that training across all those people. Yeah. And it can't, it can't be that. I mean, if, if any of your listeners are wanting to look more into this, um, one of the sources of inspiration I have on this is Kathy Moore when, um, when it looks at this, this performance consultancy. So, okay, mm-hmm. so this is your problem, if that's what we're calling it at this moment, for, this, for the sake of this podcast. I guess we go, okay, how do you, how do you know that's a problem? Mm-hmm. Okay, and what is it you need people to be able to do to address that and for that not to be a problem? And why, why aren't they currently doing that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can see that light bulbs start firing off. And I think this is the time where the, the courageous conversations come in. Mm-hmm. Because very quickly you get to a point, and in my experience, it might tend to be systems that um, uh, aren't particularly helping a process. Um, you know, call centers are rife for that, that every time a new system or a new product comes out, there's another system to use, not integrated into the previous one. Um, there's, there's there's kind of targets and bonuses that performance management systems that push people to actually do things against what their managers want them to do. Um, so, for example, I guess you know a great a great example of that, David, would be if I was to say to you, I'm going to incentivize you to create as many podcasts podcasts as you can in a day. Mm-hmm. We would run the risk if your focus becoming blurred and yeah, you just yeah. rattle off as many as you can. And um, so when, you know, you, you want, you want to an agent on the front line to focus on quality, but you measure them on average call handling times. Yeah. Those two things might not happen. So you suddenly start going, okay, well that's a factor in them not being able to use this correctly. Their leaders, are they supporting them, coaching them? Um, one of the, one of our previous companies as well was um, you know, the, the quality team actively saw that leaders were not experts in the quality process. Um, so the quality marking and scoring of calls, calls, but they were the people who scored their people's calls against the quality framework. Mm. You go, know, how can how can that be providing quality feedback to do this better? Yeah. You can't be. And you've got to have those conversations to find out what's really going on mm. before you can uh, get involved and, and try to make a difference. Otherwise, Delivering something over the top, delivering a, a capability program over the top of a system that is flawed yeah. is pointless. It's useless. It's heavy. It's a big bet and it will fail. It's, um, yeah. it's what we're talking about. It's, uh, it's, yeah. it's the very essence of what we're talking about. But Rob, do you have any examples of practitioners or organizations that successfully made this pivot from perhaps solving non-problems to, to solving real problems? One example that always comes to mind, it was actually um, an example that was given from Amazon, one of the uh, fulfillment centres there, from a, from a senior L&D person who was working there at the time. Uh, and what it was, they were saying that one of those fulfillment centres within their region, um, they weren't getting the orders out as quickly as the other fulfillment centres. Now, I think this is where the, the framing 
if the, the thought process comes in. They weren't looking at something that was a problem. They weren't waiting for a problem. They weren't using that in their language. As you probably well know, Amazon focused themselves purely on being customer-centric. Mm-hmm. What do their customers want? And the fact that one of the senses was not addressing that by being slower than the others wasn't achieving the goal rather than it being a problem. So what they did was L&D and leaders got together not to identify problems, but look at opportunities at ways that centre could be quicker to get to that end outcome. Mm. Uh, and, and the one thing that they actually identified that they did something with, with was um, that the guys in that particular centre weren't as skilled with the forklifts, getting all the big orders off the big trays at the top there, uh, as they were in other centres. Um, so it's quite a simple thing in the end. Um, but what happened was L&D and leaders got together to A, make sure they got quick, on the spot, in the flow of work, which I know is another mm-hmm. big thing for yourself on, on the things that you put out there. It didn't take people away for two days and start training on Fortnite etiquette and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It was in the flow of work, embedded and coached and supported by leaders altogether. There was no line between operation and training. And I thought, you know, it's a, a fantastic example of going after goals rather than problems. Mm. Yeah, I- I think that's a great example. I'd, I'd also point people in the direction of uh, Tracy Waters at your your formerly former company on a previous podcast talks about how she does that. But there, there are also others that, uh, that that I've spoken with, whether it be Jeremy McClellan, mm. um, whether it be Gemma Critchley, now Patterson, yeah. or Adam Harwood, who's now doing this in uh, his third organisation, this this method of, of uh, really seeking to uncover using data and evidence over the top of what's truly going on and then really making a difference to the business that uh, that that he and the rest of them working um in order to to move the needle on something that really matters whether it's Jeremy and 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 getting people new starters uh, billing in uh, in recruitment far earlier than before uh, or with Adam now at uh, at uh, at D&D Ooh. focusing on uh, on what really matters to to a, a very diverse workforce. Yeah. Now, um coming to the end now Rob, if you were to boil this topic down to three key actions to help the listener address real problems, stop giving non-problems so much attention and bring their organization with them, what would you suggest? So I think the first one would be um which is a key one for me is trust in that positive intention of others. Mm. So rather than going after in these big corporate environments what people are doing wrong and, and trying to address those problems, break that down and reconnect everyone with that vision and the mission and the goals of the organisation again. Um, so again, I think you know going back to the COVID stuff we mentioned earlier on, you are going to have fires you need to fight and there are going to be problems you need to solve, but there may mm. well be fewer because you're going after the stuff that's going to make everyone better. Uh, and you know, I, think, I truly believe that everyone wakes in the morning wanting to do their best and mm. not deliberately wanting to derails. So I think yeah. place trust in that in there. Uh, the second thing I would say is that believe in people to help you find the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's dead easy that L&D will sit together in a room as L&D to try and solve L&D problems. Invite people in. Yeah. You know, what do people on the front line think? You know, what, why, did they, why are they not using that system correctly? Mm-hmm. They might have a million and one answers that are different that L&D and a stakeholder would come up with. Um, seems, seems obvious, like the average call handler we mentioned earlier on. But how many people actually sit with them and do it? 
Um, And I think that the last one I would say is that, and this can be quite a a controversial one, is that we always need to remember that as a leader, uh, but also as an individual, I guess, your team and yourself is actually your fault. Mm-hmm. We need to be our own number one case study. And I think L&D, and don't get me wrong, I've been in L&D for, for 20 years, so um, there's a lot of value to L&D. Mm-hmm. Um, but what L&D can be quite poor at is being its own best case study. So when it comes to things like taking time out to develop themselves, as an example. Um, but in this particular instance, I think, you know, we talk about performance consultancy. Can we honestly say we look at our own heart and go, how can we be more effective? How can we drive the business? And what are the things stopping us from doing that? And how can we drive it forward? And if we can do that, drive that experimentation that we talked about earlier on. So people start coming to us to drive more experiments rather than give them shelf or off-the-shelf courses. Um, I think we start to embrace mistakes and learning rather than criticism. Wonderful. Thanks, Rob. Um, so as we wrap up, if the listener wants to connect with you or follow your work, how can they do so? Actually, the, the best way, David, would be to uh, get yourselves onto LinkedIn. Uh, look for myself, Rob Morse, uh, and also our company page, which is Learn Do Get. Uh, mm-hmm. and you'll get loads of ideas on there about what we do and how we do it. But uh, what I'd encourage you to do is challenge us, engage with us, disagree with us, uh, and see where we can go. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you very much. Now, that's not an easy topic to unpack because it's hard to say that L&D are working on non-problems, but having seen it and experienced it, Rob has as well. It felt to me that it needed to be explored. And thank you again to Susan Goodbrand for the recommendation. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.